Hello and welcome to Coloured Souls. My name is Jamie Gladstone and on this podcast we'll critically analyse new developments in race policy, education, African, Caribbean, South American history, as well as dive into where and how inequity and equality are present in modern Britain. You can always join the discussion by emailing me at jamie at couloredsouls.co.uk or you can find me on Twitter at couloredsoulsuk. Britain's education system, a system based on oppression and subjugation, has done little to nothing to positively impact upon the British Caribbean community. From the categorization of Caribbean children as educationally subnormal, to the cycle of exclusions, extradition to pupil referral units, and ultimately to prison, the educational outcomes of British Caribbean children is the lowest of any ethnic group in Britain, aside from Roma Gypsy children. The pedagogical practices currently being employed, epistemologically Eurocentric, do not reflect or represent the British Caribbean children in the classroom. An African-informed pedagogy can help African diaspora children access education in a more culturally informed and meaningful way. An appreciation of multiple epistemologies and centering other cultures can create an environment of criticality and growth. So in this episode, we're going to explore how utilizing African-informed pedagogy for British Caribbean children could potentially combat the legacy of educational subnormality in Britain's school system. As educators, it is our responsibility to ensure that the children we work with are educated to the highest level of their abilities. The pedagogy that we use has a significant impact on how a child may engage with or reject a concept. The use of antiquated teaching practices, that is to say, practices based on domination, control and the maintenance of hierarchical structures are still as prevalent in our classrooms as they were in the early 19th century when Britain's state schools were in their infancy, albeit with distinct castigation methods. Throughout Britain's educational history, the methods of teaching have seen little to no shift in what could be described as a colonial system of teaching. In the context of British Caribbean children, the colonial impact was felt by many children being categorised as educationally subnormal, or ESN, a term derived from the 1944 Education Act, which was used to define people as having limited intellectual ability. I'll put that one in quotes. The intention of the act was for children with limited abilities to be educated in dedicated schools in order to provide them with the support that they needed. This was partly based on the criteria that a child had quote-unquote low capabilities if they scored between 50 and 80 on an IQ test, with the quote-unquote normal range being between 90 and 110. However, throughout this classification, many Caribbean children were swept into a deeply segregated system in which non-European epistemologies were destroyed for the maintenance of Eurocentrism. For more information on that, see Mignola or Walter Rodney. One criteria which was implemented was the use and understanding of the English language. Testing of language comprehension was used as a standard, but for many children that had recently arrived from the Caribbean, the vocabulary and grammatical structure they were accustomed to varied greatly from the vernacular of Britain. This deference was leveraged in order to justify the ESN categorization. Furthermore, 
Recent research by Gilborn, Pereira, Wallace and Joseph, Salisbury and others has shown that in modern educational spaces in which white working class children are subjected to the same pedagogical methods, children of the global majority appear to be more profoundly affected in negative ways. With the children bringing with them ways of knowing and learning which differed from the environment they found themselves in, a key issue that impacted them, and one which still plagues Britain's education system, is that the epistemic locale is centred around European thought and standards. There exists now, as then, a need to look at and understand the world from an African perspective without romanticising, over-mythologizing, or camouflaging harmful aspects of African life. Decentering Western conventions of knowledge would ensure that the classroom is a safe space for discussions of epistemic plurality. This Eurocentric system is one which has failed and continues to fail Caribbean children. Epistemic violence has shaped the ways in which we understand the relationship of power and dominance between colonizers and the colonized. Imperialist powers, such as Britain, were able to use their positionality to control the peoples they oppressed economically, politically, and often culturally. This was achieved through diminishing traditions, belief systems, and language. In the words of Albert Memmi, the colonizing of the mind. Some authors argue that many minority students are expected to exist in an environment that negates their language, denies their historical existence, and demeans their culture. Framing a brief definition of epistemic violence is necessary in the context of the use of ESN as a dumping ground for British Caribbean children during the latter part of the 20th century. In such settings, with limited skills being taught to children in general, due to varying educational needs, the Caribbean children who were wrongly placed in these settings were simply being used as a means to placate the belief that Afro-descended people were backwards and that Caribbean people had no significant contribution to make to British society. A 2002 paper written by Faisa Demi analysed how teachers' low expectations of Afro-Caribbean students in English schools are still very much a problem with regards to the underachievement that persists in the attainment data. These low expectations manifest in harsher punishments, racist stereotyping, bias, and placement into lower ability groups. To briefly summarise Demi's findings, teacher expectations can, for example, be based on students' characteristics such as race, ethnicity, and family income level, or indicators of past performance. Family income and ethnicity can often be tightly linked together in Britain after years of social and economic subjugation. Low expectations can cause teachers to differentiate their behaviour towards individual students, such that teachers set lower expectations for some students, provide scant or no feedback on pupil errors, and less positive feedback after correcting answers, and grant students less time to answer questions or fail to give some students the opportunity to answer thus stunting opportunities for criticality. Children of the global majority, most notably of Caribbean and Pakistani heritage, find themselves on the lower end of the scale in the context of the attainment gap as they progress through the school. For more information on that, and for more detail, you can check the Department for Education figures. Whilst there are certainly white British children whom are affected by social factors such as poverty, and the argument has been made about white working class children being failed by the education system. For more information on that, you can see lots of work by David Gilborn. It seems that the impact is felt more significantly in the global majority majority. 
It seems that the impact is felt more significantly in the global majority communities in which ethnicity and a lack of social mobility form the basis for an infrastructure of underdevelopment. This appears to be a modern continuation of the ways in which Europe underdeveloped Africa and the Americas. And how, through empire, Britain also destabilized the Indian subcontinent and many countries in the Middle East. These positionalities of domination and oppression form the backbone of Europe's global economic success, and to question them has become taboo in some contexts and completely problemized or banned in others. With a system of quiet acceptance and a lack of criticality, the British state education system is posited as a conveyor belt filling the empty receptacles, that is to say the minds of the children, with the same racially charged information. A system designed to churn out follower after follower with dissidents facing punishment through disciplinary procedures or barriers to progression within the institution. For those that do not fit neatly into the system, for those that disrupt, punitive measures have been installed to ensure that if quiet comportment is not adhered to, the consequences will impact upon the rest of your life. Contra-criticality policies have been eroding away the freedom to challenge. Policies that may be bolstered by the recent degradation of rights to protest and challenge the government. By denying opportunities to level questions, the Caribbean voice is being silenced. Thus, in the context of epistemic violence, the Caribbean way of knowing is being suppressed and ultimately erased. The support for truly diverse spaces could prove particularly important for British Caribbean children as... At present, the space in which to question one's own positionality in the white space of education is muted, whilst assimilation is pushed to the fore. Schools and vicariously the education system are distinct spaces which are supposed to reflect the wider societies they find themselves situated within. Oppressive standpoints and systems such as the presence of CCTV, pupil tracking systems and police in schools posit themselves as precursors to the future that many British Caribbean children, specifically boys, may have imposed upon them. Such systems reduce the likelihood of raising Britain's future generation of resilient critical thinkers. Furthermore, the focus on knowledge acquisition in lieu of skills, a seeming obsession that eliminates potential spaces which could otherwise be used to encourage criticality in the classroom, appears to be leaving children shortchanged. For time immemorial, the image of the teacher has been widely recognised as a person positioned at the front of the room, standing beside a board filled with information, whilst the children, vacant receptacles, sit, eagerly awaiting all the information they are to receive. Information which has been selected for them to know and to recall when the time comes to sit an exam. Paolo Freire argued that the education system itself is based upon domination and oppression exercised through manipulation and that in order to maintain the status quo of oppression, the people within the system must change the consciousness of the oppressed and not the situation which oppresses them, as adaptation to the system of oppression leads to easier domination. If we take into account the historical significance of Britain's colonial capitalist system, we can see the domination of the working classes and, further, with an underclass of workers from marginalised communities, for example, the use of children as manual labour, the miners and factory workers whom both endured inhumane conditions before any form of workers' rights were implemented, and the low-paid, at times menial jobs that were accessible to people that migrated to post-war Britain. 
On a global scale, Britain subjugated and or enslaved peoples from Africa, South Asia, East Asia and other parts of Europe, notably Ireland, for its own economic prosperity. This dynamic of oppression has evolved over the years from overt displays of power to institutionalized exercises of domination carried out at each possible level. The legacy of which lives on in the British education system. Karl Marx saw some of the educational practices as a tool for the creation and subjugation of working class. Alongside the maintenance of subjugating people of the global majority through a lack of representation, educational institutions thus become posited as creators and feeders to the subaltern group. Each school year prepares children for the next one to come, and this constant state of preparation guides each child further into the categorised boxes they are destined to inhabit for the remainder of their school careers. For British Caribbean children, this can sometimes manifest as a system which leads from in-school segregation to their removal to a pupil referral unit or PRU, exclusion and even to prison, a system dubbed the PRU to prison pipeline. As the statistics on exclusions for British Caribbean children show, this pipeline forms part of a self-fulfilling prophecy for many. And for more information on the PRU to prison pipeline, see episode one of season three of this podcast. Outdated ideologies based on racial categorization are often reflected in the classroom with the Caribbean community being labelled as lazy, unruly and incapable of following the conditions set by the dominant institutions here in Britain. This stereotypical way of seeing the Caribbean community is a knowledge which has been banked by many educators and students over the decades, which mythicizes reality and conceals the truth of historic human interactions. It is in this banking of information without critically analysing it that problems can be encountered. The pedagogy that many people are taught to employ focuses on the blind acceptance of information and could be described as a tool to classify the ways individuals are to act, think and feel as a result of some unit of instruction. In short, a colonising tool. Looking to the traditional pedagogies of the indigenous peoples of the African continent, subsequently to the Caribbean and Americas, whilst we find evidence of the written word, some of the earliest evidence in human history, the most prevalent method of teaching has been through oral history, storytelling and conversation. As children progress through the communities, they develop the skills required to interact with the world around them. Yes, the pressures are certainly different to those found in 21st century Britain, as are the technologies. What is really important to factor in though, it's criticality that is essential to recounting historical events, the space to question details and generally believed facts. Whilst it could be argued that oral histories may contain inaccuracies, the same could certainly be said for the written accounts contained within our education system. George Orwell did famously say that history is written by the winners. And whilst this is a sweeping statement, a cursory glance at the history textbooks written for the British, American, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese schools will tell you a story of colonialism different to that experienced by the peoples they oppressed. This is partly due to out-of-date knowledge, long-held beliefs, submission, etc. A class that does not question this will likely find themselves perpetuating these stories and continuing the cycle of oppression. Even the process of geographical decolonization was not a remedy for the internalized oppression and loss of indigenous agency, which ultimately resulted in the recolonization of the self by Africans. Thus the cycle perpetuates. 
Teaching practitioners in the US who are implementing African-informed pedagogy aims to cultivate a positive and productive culturally-based identity for African diaspora children. In Britain, supplementary schools endeavour to supply that cultural base, placing the history, culture and life experiences of individuals of African descent at the centre of everything that they do. A culture based on inspiration and energy is conducive to cultivating a positive and productive identity for New World Africans, grounded in cultural appreciation. African-informed pedagogical practices would endeavour to supply that cultural base, placing the history, culture and life experiences of individuals of African descent at the centre of a child's experience. African-informed pedagogy could level the playing field against institutional racism for all children, ensuring a greater understanding of global interactions and their long-term impact. As such, African-informed pedagogy shares much in common with other identifiable groups, for example religious minorities and women, that defend voluntary separation as a means of building group efficacy. In order to accomplish this, the African narrative must occupy the space at the centre of instruction, so that African diaspora children can see themselves represented as the subject and not the object. This ensures that children are able to interpret the world through a culturally informed lens, leading to a greater sense of self-esteem and higher academic achievement. For a progressive society to emerge, we need to look to where we learn what social expectations are. As many children pass through the education system, they slowly become sorted into ever-shrinking boxes, whereby individuality is limited, writing skills are prescribed, and in some cases, art is constructed by numbers. All in preparation for a test which appears to benefit the school more than the child. A classroom which fosters criticality and dialogue will have the potential to see children influence in the education of not just themselves, but the generations which succeed them. It all begins with problems, in which children are no longer docile listeners, but active, critical, co-investigators in dialogue with the teacher. These are not just mathematical or grammatical problems, they include social problems, real-life situations that many disadvantaged children in Britain are facing, the overwhelming majority of whom are black. Navigating a world dominated by whiteness as neutral, African-informed pedagogy can, therefore, be viewed as a problem-solving pedagogy, a tool for decolonizing the mind. Bringing African-informed pedagogy into mainstream British schools is no easy feat, and so it is something which must be implemented in stages. Supplementary schools are a space which can balance out the narrative for the children already in the system. For practitioners, a greater focus on global narratives and racial literacy in initial teacher training will ensure that new generations of teachers are exposed to a range of pedagogical practices and epistemologies. This needs to be supplemented by continued professional development throughout their careers in order to stay informed. The current narrative operates on the assumption that educational opportunity for British Caribbean children is largely dependent upon white altruism or allyship, thus playing into the age-old stereotype of the poor uneducated African in need of a white saviour. African-informed pedagogy rejects this narrative, such as the very public but ultimately hollow displays of decolonization as inaccurate and devastating for the wider community. White racism is not placed at the centre of black history and ontology. Not because white racism is not real, 
but because it is so institutionally ingrained in British society that simply by openly discussing historical and political occurrences, it will be clear to see. African centrists are invested in re-scripting educational opportunity in a different way, one which is not mired in a victim-focused curriculum. Decolonial thinking does not require a closed focus on racist rhetoric. Rather, it calls for pluriversal thinking and a respect for the epistemological variances which enrich our communities. It is the deepening and the coexistence of all ways of thinking without being absorbed into oblivion. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app to go notified every time a new episode goes live. Don't forget, you can always join the discussion by emailing me at jamie at couloredsouls.co.uk or finding me on Twitter at couloredsoulsuk. If you would like to support the continued production of this podcast, you can always buy me a book over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash souls. Every donation genuinely does help this channel to keep going and to grow. Thank you very much for your support and I'll speak to you soon.